see. Uh, it is awesome to be here this morning. I uh, share not from a place of being an expert this morning. I can promise you that. I can honestly share with every single one of you uh, this morning on what God's taken, uh, I think, our community through. And so uh, I, I recently, and you probably noticed, went to the eye doctor in full, full transparency. <clears throat> Several uh, months back, it's probably been six to eight months ago, uh, I've told you a, the story of going to a friend's house, needing some wisdom. I'm actually needing just some next steps. I went to my friend and uh, he told me, to get into the word, the Bible. And about six to eight months ago, that, that took place. And um, it was when I started to read my Bible, and, and I'm again, full confession here. When I started reading my Bible, like every day, I started to realize how bad my eyesight has been. In the Bible, the words are a little smaller, a little thinner. And I learned that I, I've got to do something about this because I can't see. So I went to my eye doctor and he, he said, yeah, you need bifocals. And so it's amazing how those things help. But the reason I share that with you this morning is because um, the, there's breakthrough that is in front of us. There is breakthrough for every single one of you in this place this morning. And I am praying and I ask you to pray right now. Because when I went to the eye doctor for the first time, he put this little thing in front of my face. And you all know if you've ever been to an eye doctor, he said, is this one better or is this one better? And he takes you through that for about five minutes. Is this one better or is this one better? And if you're in this place today and you have to wear glasses to help your vision, I'm going to ask you right now if you would just take your glasses off. I didn't realize how blurry my vision was until I got these new glasses. And I want to say the breakthrough for many of you today is going to probably be not going to happen like turning on a light switch. But this morning the Holy Spirit says he is going to turn on the light switch. And it's not going to be that you're at the end of this thing but it is going to be that you see things differently now. And as you go through the rest of your life, as you journey and you learn every day, there is going to be a brand new way of seeing things. I want to say, I don't think many of your situations are going to change today. Just being very honest, I don't, some of you aren't going to probably get the raise you're not going to get the job. It's not going to happen the way that you have played it out in your brain. Things, circumstances, situations may not change one degree because we sat here in the presence of God this morning. But what God is sweeping across this place doing is he is shedding a new way of seeing a perspective on the way that we see everything that's going on in life. Breakthrough is upon us. I believe ever since you and I started taking our breaths on this planet, breakthrough has been in front of us. It's been before us and around us. I think if you're like me, many of us have just missed what God was doing all around us because of the way that we perceive things. So I'm going to go dive right into 
John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be oh, probably for the next several weeks. I will just say that. John chapter 11. I'm doing something a little different. I, uh, and I, I've said this before, and this sort of gives you a time stamp. I started reading a lot out of the Passion Translation. I don't know how some of you feel about different translations, which is your favorite. I think if it points you to Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, what he is still doing with us and for us and through us today, I'm going to read that. And so the Passion Translation is actually even smaller print than my NIV. That's why I understood that I couldn't see that well. I'm going to journey through John chapter 11 with you for several weeks. I'm not even sure how far we'll get here this morning. But I want to start off in John chapter 11 by just throwing this question out there. And the question is going to appear on the screen. And it's talking about our, the way we see things, the way we perceive things. And the question is simply this. Could we be missing God? Could we be missing him? I'm talking about before us, after us, in front of us, all around us. Could we be missing God on a moment-by-moment, daily basis because we are settling for ourself. I'm just going to let that hang there for just a second. Lord, say what you need to say to us. I looked it up. Somewhere roughly 627 words in our English dictionary start with the word self. We've just removed God from the equation and we've just put self. We're missing all of God and his kingdom things because we are truly content with this thing being self-driven, self-motivated, self-fulfilled. 627 other words start with self. It's my way. I'm not an English major. I was for about two months. I seriously was. They said, Scott, you're going into your third year of college. You have to declare a major, and the deadline is today. The English department was right there close by, and I had taken a couple English classes. So I said, I'll be an English major. Not an English major, but I've heard, talking to some friends who were very wise, that back in the days ago, when I was in high school going through college, to write a proper sentence, it had to be Johnny and I. That was proper English. They say now it is proper and is okay in writing essays and papers that you can say it is now me and Johnny, and that's approved. Because self has become... For many people in our society, in our world, self-made, driven, self has become a God for many people. I want my way. I want it my way when I want it and how I want it, no matter what. So, Lord, as we journey through what we're getting ready to journey, I can already tell that if this is man-driven, 
we're in trouble. God, I ask that I would just be able to not speak on my own, but would uncover some things that are going on truly in our our community. God, I pray that these words would be spoken and read with grace. Holy Spirit, that you would open the ears and the minds and the eyes of everyone that we would receive these words and we would receive them however you need us to receive them. God, if our feelings are shaken, then Lord, I pray that we will not be led to shame, but we would be led to, oh, there, there's so much hope. Holy Spirit, what you're wanting to do doesn't take us down and it does not hurt our feelings. It doesn't even lead to condemnation as your word tells us. But through the power of your Holy Spirit today, shedding light on some places in our lives is going to lead us to hope. That there's restoration. There's rejuvenation. And it's not because of a sermon, but it is truly because your Holy Spirit is speaking truth to us. And we just say, Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, we just want to be more like you. And so, Father, thank you for speaking. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 11 is where we're going to be for a while. I I would love to know that, man, if you guys want to read ahead, we're probably not going to get very far in John chapter 11 this morning. This has been a great thing that I've been studying for several, several months. And today, I just share with you John chapter 11. Let's look here. It says, and I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. It'll be on the screen. Your translation is, is fine as well. But John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, it says this. It says, in the village of Bethany, there was a man named Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Mary was the one who would anoint Jesus' feet with costly perfume and dry, her feet, dry his feet with her long hair. That's actually happening in chapter 12. One day, Lazarus became very sick to the point of death. This is probably not a new story for many of you. So his sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one that you love, is very sick. Please come. Now we have to see some context here in this just first part of this chapter. We've got to understand that Jesus loves Lazarus. Jesus is very close to Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha and Lazarus must have the same kind of relationship towards Jesus. They are close. They are tight. And I want us this morning, as we unpack just verse by verse here, which is different from really and truly the way I typically stand and teach, but I want you to allow yourself to go into this place, this story I want you to go there, maybe not necessarily as Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, but I want you to go there as someone who has deep relationship, a deep connection, a deep love for people in your life. I want you to go there, not necessarily with your best friend Lazarus dying, but I want you to go there in your mind. I want you to set the stage of a situation or a circumstance, a predicament, something that is going on in your life 
that you truly are out of control of. I need you to go ahead and go there in, my, in your mind. Go there to that place that you're desperate. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus here are desperate. Actually, Lazarus isn't. <laughs> I've always wondered, like, what was this like these few days? Was he mad at Jesus, if you know this story? Sort of breaking the, um, the story. Like, spoiler alert, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, okay? Lazarus is at a good place here. Mary and Martha are desperate. Mary and Martha are throwing their hands up, and they do the only thing that they know to do. They didn't call a doctor. They didn't go get more friends. They said, please, go get Jesus because his friend, Lazarus, has died. Okay? So we're here reading on. They said, Jesus, please come. Verse 4. When Jesus heard this, he said... This sickness will not end in death for Lazarus. And let me just stop right there. Go to your place, your predicament, your situation, where you are. And I want you to hear Jesus echoing these same words, not necessarily over Mary and Martha and Lazarus' situation, but over your situation. Take yourself into this place And Jesus saying to the messenger, saying to his disciples, Lazarus is sick. Basically, we know he's going to die. And Jesus has the whatever, the gall, the nerve, the foresight to say, hey, this is not going to end with Lazarus dying. And I ask the question, how in the world Can Jesus say that? I need you to go to your place, in your mind, and in context, Jesus is going to be saying the same thing. How in the world can Jesus say that? Now, the church answer, we're in church. We're supposed to say the answer. The answer is Jesus is God, right? Jesus knows everything. He was fully God and fully man as he walked on this earth. If you're like me, you've been in church long enough that we know that that answer is going to get us an A. Jesus is God. And then I'm probably going to go and I'm going to quote some scripture just to make sure that my answer gets an A+. I'm going to take you to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through about 11, and I'm going to say he humbled himself. He took on the role of a servant. He didn't consider being equal to God something to grasp. I'm going to quote all that scripture because that's what, as Christians, we're supposed to say God and Jesus, Jesus and God. Jesus, it says many times over in scripture that he even knew what people were thinking. Jesus is God. So that's how Jesus could say to all of these people, Lazarus is not going to die. But here's the deal. Here's where the break is. 
the people that were listening to this, Mary and Martha, they were not Jesus and they were not God. And so Jesus, he didn't need faith. Mary and Martha and all the people listening, you and I, with your situation and your predicament, we need faith. You and I need faith in something that we cannot see. Jesus and God were so much in union that God and Jesus saw the same things. Jesus and God heard the same things. It's very clear throughout scripture. Jesus says, I do not say these things on my own, but I only say what I hear the father saying. And I only do what I see the father doing. They were in complete union. You and I need faith. And I think that's where, and at least in my life, the great chasm has come about because I know these things. I've taught this before. I know these things about Jesus and God. But my mouth, what I say, and actually what I do, do not connect. There's a great chasm. For many of people who call themselves believers of Jesus, that we say that we know that Jesus is God, and we say that we know that Jesus can say this because he is God. Hey, we understand that you are right, Jesus. We don't know how you say it, but we're going to go with you, Jesus, because we trust you that Lazarus is not going to die. We say it with our mouth but then with our actions that don't connect with our words, we're freaking out. I need you to go where you are with your situation, your predicament, your circumstances. Okay, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I think some of us just need to just humbly admit, God, a lot of times my actions just don't line up. I hear you. And I want to believe you. But God, if I'm being very honest before you, I just can't. It says in his word that Jesus, how he can say something as bold as this sickness will not in death, end in death for Lazarus. It says in scripture that he is the alpha and he's the omega. You know what those words mean? That means, the alpha means that he is the beginning. If you want to look it up, it's in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'll read it real quick because I'm close to it here in the Passion. Go ahead and turn in yours and you can see it for yourself. It says, in the very beginning, and this is used as some different words, don't be thrown off by this. In the very beginning, the living expression was already there. And the living expression was with God. This is Jesus we're talking about. Yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. He's the alpha. He was before all of this stuff that we know is life. He was already there. In Genesis when it says, and this is not, I'm not going to reference this and I'm not turning there, but in Genesis when it says that God was hovering over the darkness and everything was there, Jesus was there with him. 
Jesus was there. He's the alpha. And the other word is omega. And you guys know that means he's the end. He's at the end of all of this stuff. And so how can Jesus stay, say, hey, Lazarus and this sickness, it's not going to end in death. Do you know how he could say it? Yeah, he's God. That's the answer we're supposed to give. But I want to get to a place where I am solid in my life, my words and my actions, that I do believe that God from the very beginning, Jesus from the very beginning, are playing this thing called our life out. And he's at the end of it. He's at the end of all of this. God is seated on his throne. God is seated and he is very aware of your situation and your circumstances. He is not being caught off guard. He is seated at the very end of all of this thing. You see, our situations and our circumstances do not change God's ways. I don't think God has ever been on his throne watching you or me screw this thing up royally and be like, well, I didn't see that coming. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And, and he is wanting, like longing. Like he wants it more than you and I want it. He wants to reveal to us. See, God has revelation for every single one of us. And he longs to reveal his ways for every single one of us. And I know I can say that with my mouth, but I desire my actions to line up with that. See, it makes so much sense when I'm standing up here saying this stuff out loud. How can Jesus talk about the future? How can he say that Lazarus isn't going to die? It looks pretty bad, Jesus. Lazarus is pretty sick. And Jesus, who is at the end of all of this, says, hey, it's not going to end in death for Lazarus. God is wanting to reveal for you right now his ways for every one of your situations that you're going through. And do not give up on him just because his way doesn't line up with what you desire. I have a friend and they were praying just this past Sunday night over our friend from Israel who spoke last Sunday. My friend came up and we prayed over him and she said this. She said, our dreams are God's memories. We're dreaming of the future. 
Our future are nothing more than just memories of what God is doing all along in your life. My prayer for this whole community, whether you believe in Jesus yet or not, is that we can know and live out of the fact that God is seated at the end of this and he has revelation for us for every step that we're going to take, no matter what. He's unveiling it. And that's how Jesus can say, Lazarus isn't going to die. So I want you to go in your mind to your place. The season of life. And I just want you just to be very honest before him. This morning, God, I'm not there. It's okay. He knows that. God, I'm not there. God, I want to be there. But God, I'm tired of trying to draw out the conclusion and the solution on my own. You see, I used to think that the opposite of God was Satan, but that's not true. I think what I've been shown lately is the opposite of God and his ways is not Satan and evil, but the opposite of God and his ways are self or is self. The opposite of God, I truly believe, is self. And if you want to look in Isaiah chapter 14, sometime for you, your time of alone or study, and you can look at where Lucifer, who, who was this beautiful angel, he, he wasn't starting out as evil. But self got in the way and he said, I'm going to exalt myself. I am going to do this and I am going to be this. And so the opposite of God in that situation was not Lucifer, Satan, but the opposite of God was self. And let me say that God longs to help you get over self. But the way that he journeys you through self may not be the way you would journey yourself over self. God's the Alpha. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And this goes on in John chapter 11, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus, he said, the sickness will not end in death for Lazarus. Listen to this. But will bring glory and praise to God. It's huge. Did you hear that? And before I read that again, I need you to go to your place, the season of life, the situation, whatever you're facing, whatever you may be wrestling with, whatever may not be the way you would be working things out. I need you there. Lazarus is not going to die, but this situation will, not maybe, but this situation will bring glory and praise to God. The sentence goes on, Jesus says, this will reveal. I need you to notice those strong words Jesus is saying. Jesus didn't say, I I, I hope that this will reveal, or if everything lines up, this will reveal, or if you're good, it will reveal. No, Jesus says, this will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Your situation 
your circumstances that surround you, wherever you may find yourself in this season. And let me just say, some of you are thinking, well, you're just talking about difficulties and struggles and negative things. No, I think good things are keeping a lot of us in this country. Good things are keeping us from being revealed who God truly is to us and for us. Good things are standing in the way of some of us encountering the one true God because we're self-made and we're self-sufficient, self-reliant. So don't think that I'm just talking about, oh, I've got a broken leg or, oh, I don't have any money in the bank right now or, oh, she doesn't like me anymore. That's not all I'm talking about. I believe there are some things that are in our life that we in America, we say are phenomenal and they are a huge barrier for us having true breakthrough with God Almighty. So I'm not just trying to cast a rainy shadow over everyone. This is for every one of us, no matter where we find ourselves in this season. But I want you to go to that season. I want you to know that there is something always more to what is going on in your life than just what you are perceiving it to be. You see, we get so wrapped up in what's going on in our life. I'm very guilty of this because I am so self-centered at times that I think that what's going on in my life is all that's going on in this world. I'm probably the only one in the room, so thanks for just letting me say this out loud. We get so wrapped up in, in self that we miss the fact that just like Jesus said right there, hey, this situation that Mary and Martha and Lazarus find themselves in, oh man, you just wait and see what me and my dad are getting ready to do. That's what Jesus is saying. And I need you to go to your place. You just wait and see what Jesus and God are getting ready to spring forth in your life. And so a great question to ask ourselves wherever we find ourselves this very moment, in this very season, a great question. Just get alone by yourself. You don't have to share this with your spouse. Just you and God, you're sitting there and maybe driving to work and you turn the radio off and it's just you and him and you say, God, You're very aware of all this stuff that's going on. And I know that you're not the author of confusion, but I I don't, I don't see clearly right now. I need some help. Hey God, Hey God, what, what are you doing? And here's a great question to always fall back on to God. How are you? How is Jesus going to be glorified in this situation? Can I be honest? I say that in the season of life that I find myself in. My family, I don't have a clue yet. I have no idea. Hey God, how are you going? You and Jesus, how are you receiving glory in all this? See, if I'm self-centered and it's all about me, I don't ever ask that question. I ask this question that sounds religious. I ask the question, God, how are you going to work this out for me? 
It's two polarizing questions. The question needs to be, God, Jesus, how are you getting glory through this? Jesus said in that passage, you think it's going to die? You think Lazarus is going to die? You think this is going to turn out terrible? No, listen. God's going to be glorified in this and you're going to see the power. You're going to see it working through me. That's Jesus. Jesus, how are you going to be glorified in this? And then listen. Hmm. Here we go, verse 5. Now, even though Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, are you guys ready for this? Even though Jesus loved Mary and Martha, I need you to put your name in this sentence. Is it on the screen? Good. Take out Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and I need you to put your name there. Put your whole family's name in there. Even though Jesus loved the Newton family, even though Jesus greatly loved Scott, are you there? Put your name there. Your family. Even though he loves you, it says that Jesus remained where he was for two more days. That doesn't make sense, Jesus. It doesn't make sense to the Jesus that maybe you and I have made him out to be. See, we've made Jesus and God out to be more like you and I than the actual gospel scriptural message tells us he is. Now, I need probably a lot longer and maybe a class and we can unpack that. But let me just give you an example for my life. If I was Jesus in this situation, if I was Jesus in this situation and any of you tell me that, hey, your friend is sick, please come. I'm dropping everything that I have. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, because you love him. No, it's not because I love this person dearly. In my self-centered world that God is bringing me through, he is putting his finger on some places that the reason that I would drop everything immediately is because I would want the people that I do love and the surrounding people to be pleased with me. And so if I was Jesus, I would drop everything so that I would look good. The opposite of God is not Satan. The opposite of God is self. I would do whatever I needed to do. Not to go raise Lazarus from the dead. Not to comfort Mary and Martha and all of the surrounding friends. I would have dropped everything because I need to please everyone that is going to hear. I don't yet have what Jesus has here. I'm, I, don't, I must not have it. Because can you imagine the tension 
and the people that were at Jesus. Jesus, Lazarus is dying. We need to go. I am not sure. Biblical scholars are not sure where Jesus actually is at this point. They say he's about a 20-mile walk from where Lazarus is actually dying. I don't know where Jesus is, but it must have been a good place because he stayed there for two more days. And that's a joke. But the reason he stayed there two more days is because his father had not yet told him to go. Thank you. There's some laughter over there. That's good. I need you where you are in your place. Are you okay with Jesus remaining two more days? Are you okay with Jesus remaining two more days? Because this is a wonderful test to see where we are when it comes to God and his ways. To me, what this says is, God, I need me and you to commune more, not only so that I'll know what you are doing, not only why you're doing what you're doing, but I need God to operate when you're operating. It's a question that I left out of my talk and journey with God quite often. God, when? I think I've gotten out in front and messed up and basically you could just call it disobedience. I think it's good to know what God's doing, why he's doing it, but I need to take it to the place where I'm saying, God, when is this going to be revealed? A.W. Tozer, he says this, we want God to do but we want him to do what he does within the scope of our comprehension. I know that many of you know the passage in Isaiah chapter 55, and and I I won't go there this morning. It is going to pop up on the screen, and you can just look at it. There in Isaiah chapter 55, it's the 8th and ninth verse. It's very powerful. Our thoughts, not his thoughts. His ways are not always our ways, says the Lord. So I think where our understanding, again, we're always learning in this life. It doesn't have an end point, not here on this earth. We're constantly learning about God and his ways. And I think that develops and gives us great faith. But where our faith, like, stops. Where, where our learning, where we are in this season. Listen, I'm 43 years old. I'm at a season, that I, I'm in a place I've, I've never been. And so I have to have faith that God is the Alpha and the Omega. That Jesus and God have the way. I have to have faith in that. I can't see it right now, but where my faith as a 43-year-old man, where my faith, which has limits, where it stops, that's where I have to trust in God and his kingdom and his ways because his ways of doing things are incomparable to my human resolve. 
I can't figure this thing out. I have to allow God and his ways to overtake me. We have to learn how to journey in that. This goes on, John 11. You can read more of this. And I'm just going to jump over to the 11th verse. Some very profound words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. Like in verses 8, 9, 10, and here in 11. I just pick up. Jesus added this. He said, Lazarus, our friend, has just fallen asleep. It's time that I go and awaken him. I love that. Hey, God, not only what are you doing, not only why are you doing it, but Scott needs to start asking God what and when is your timing because Jesus, as clear as day, now say to his disciples, it's time that I go and awaken him. Verse 12 says, when they heard this, the disciples replied, Lord, if he's just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. Jesus was speaking about Lazarus' death, but the disciples presumed he was talking about natural sleep. I love verse 14 here. Then Jesus made it plain to them. (laughs) That's a great, great prayer. God, just make it plain to me. You've done it to your disciples. Will you do it for me? I think sometimes we try to mature in our Christian walk and we try to over-spiritualize all of this stuff. And sometimes we just need to cry out to God and say, God, please just make it plain to me. You made it plain to your disciples. Make it plain to me. Jesus made it plain to them. Lazarus is dead. And listen to this. And for your sake... I'm glad that I wasn't there because now you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. You hear that? (laughs) It sounds cold. It sounds... I don't even know what it sounds like to you. That Jesus said that it was a good thing for me to not be where Lazarus was. It was a good thing for this situation to happen. The circumstances that surround this story, Jesus is saying it is a good thing. I need you to go where you've been, where you are, your circumstance, your situation, your season of life, where you are in this journey, and are you okay with Jesus saying it's a good thing that you are where you are? It's a good thing that I'm not showing up at your first prayer. Are you okay with God having his way? No matter what it looks like for you. Whew. 
And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because now you have another opportunity. Can you see where you are as an opportunity to learn? God, help us to be able to see it that way. It's just another opportunity to learn who God is, his ways Every situation that you find yourself in, every one of them, I mean every situation, is a learning opportunity to discover who God is. Every situation. I just have four things that I'm on the screen and I'm just going to let them sit there. For just a few moments. Hopefully you've gone there. Wherever it is. What's God saying? What's he saying? I'm going to be praying this week. For every single one of us. Through whatever. Wherever we find ourselves this last week of October. Hey God, please show me how Jesus is going to be glorified through all of this. And then these are the declarations. For this place. For this season. For you, for me. You'll probably see these a couple more times this week, but this is just a bold declaration. God, I trust you and your timing. I trust you and I trust your timing. And I pray for you that you can be able to say this last statement. Maybe from a place that you've never been able to say it for, but God... Your ways are perfect. I trust you. Your ways are perfect.